0: Well good morning. How's everyone this morning? Great. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning and get to speak and look into God's word with you this morning. A little introduction I guess. Um, As was said my name's Andy. Last name is Nup spelled K-N-U-P-P. So it's got a silent K real real cool there. Um, so yes, I go to Virginia Beach Theological Seminary. So that's, that's the connection here. I know you had Scott uh, here the last couple weeks. So uh, same school, same one where I see Nolan. Good to see you again. It's been a little bit. Um, so same school there. I'm working on so I believe Nolan did his MBS. Um, so there for a long time they had the MBS and then they had the MDiv. And like there's like 30 credit hours and then 90 some credit hours and they just recently added. It's called the MTS, so Master of Theological Studies. So it's 60 credit hours. So I, I went that route. I was I was in it, in it for the long haul in the MDiv and I decided I need to I need a near end. So uh, I'm a, in my last two semesters of the MTS. I should finish that up uh, in the spring. So I'm really excited about that and what God has uh, for myself and my wife next. Uh, my wife her name is Megan, she couldn't be here this morning, so she works for, um, I'm not sure if you all support or are familiar with the Crisis, Pregn- C- Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater, so she works for them, um, and had a, a speaking engagement with them, so um, I know there's a, she said there's another pregnancy center on this side of the, t- the water, so I, I don't know, or if you support any at all, but, so that's a really cool ministry, we're passionate about that as well. Um, so she couldn't be here this morning. Um, and exciting, just another tidbit: um, she's we have a baby girl due in January of next year. So we're just we're excited about all that. We got a lot of changes and a lot of cool stuff coming up. So um, that's a little bit about me. Don't want to dwell on that too much. But I want to look at y'all, uh, look with you all this morning at First uh, Peter, chapter one. We'll just be looking at the first twelve verses. Um, and in a full disclosure, as you turn there. Uh, This is something that I was uh, working with the youth group as well. So I'm just reusing it. So hopefully the points are clear and not completely directed at uh, teenagers. But I think obviously God has a lot to say um, that's really good in his word in all parts. So um, I'm sure we'll find some some really helpful thoughts here this morning. So as you get there, I'll go ahead and read it. Um, I will read it here first uh, in the King James and then... As I refer to it as we go, I'll, I'll mostly be using the SV, so just in clarity there, but I'll go ahead and read it. Um, just follow along. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable And full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow." Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So that's what we're going to tackle this morning, the first 12 verses. Um, Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for... uh, the opportunity that we have to look at it together, Lord, um, and to allow our lives to be changed by it, Lord. We know that um, your word is is profitable for so much in our lives, Lord. Just help us in this time to focus on um, what you have to say uh, to these believers and to us and how we can um, allow that to to change our lives and to change um, how we live every day, Lord. Just um, allow your spirit to work on our hearts as we look at it. Um, And I just uh pray that you give me the words um, that you would have me to say. Just bless our time this morning. In your name, amen. So the first two verses, um, as with most letters, are really just give us a good context. Um, and I won't dwell on them too much. It, it says that it's Peter who's reaching out to these believers. Um, and it says that they're uh, the two main things that I see there, that they are strangers. So the, the King James says strangers. Uh, I believe the ESV says um, exiles. And then also, uh, I saw another one that said aliens. So we know that they're not on a land um, that they were used to or that they were from. Uh, So this is uh, a new thing to them. So they're strangers, and then it also points out that they're the elect. um, uh, They've been elected according to the foreknowledge of God. So um, that just gives us a little context of of who the letter's to. Um, And it's important to remember, especially in the context of who. Uh, Peter's talking to here. He's talking to, to uh, early Christians that are still learning the importance of their faith um, and that are suffering persecution because of their faith. So as we look um, at what Peter continues to say to them, uh, I'm going to try to apply that. If, if we just put ourselves in their shoes and think like this is something that's completely new to them, but as well, they're suffering because of what they believe. So it's, it's kind of a unique spot for them. So I think a lot of the the main ideas of the passage, the the meat of the passage that we'll talk about, verses three through twelve, uh, focus on salvation, faith, and hope, um, and we'll go by verse by verse. Um, but the main focus that I really see in this passage is, is our salvation and the importance of it and the hope that we have in it. So there's three main sections. Uh, that we'll talk about, that the, the passage kind of nicely divides up into. The first uh, is the first three verses. It's the preservation of our salvation through the power of God. And the next three verses, we'll see uh, the joy of our salvation, the joy that Peter's encouraging these believers to have. And finally, we'll see the, the prediction of our salvation as it was made by the, the prophets and, and spread on through the apostles. So like I said, the first three verses, um, point one here, the, the provision and preservation of salvation by the power of God, and we see that in the first part of verse three. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." So the passage starts with Peter blessing the Lord, and I think uh, this is an important leading piece of any interaction that we have with God. Our natural reaction. Um, should be to start with praising God for who he is. And in this case, what Peter's doing is specifically praising him for his work of salvation. He praises God, the Father, for who he is. He says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author of our faith and the one who sent Christ to be our sacrifice. So he just got done specifying, like we said in verse 2, that our salvation uh, is known by the foreknowledge of God. God is the source of our salvation, and he has chosen us, each and every one of us. We should bless his name and praise his name for this. Uh, it's also important that he identifies Jesus as our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is to stress the fact that Christ is, the one, is one with God, and he truly is uh, God. Next, we, we see the, the motive for this salvation in the, uh, the second part of verse 3. Um, or the reason. It it says that it's according to God's great mercy. Peter says that our our salvation flows out of God's mercy. Uh, So I was kind of surprised when I uh, I posed the question to the teens. I said, so what? what is mercy? What does that mean? And uh, it, I feel like maybe it was just like a Sunday school answer that I always had, or maybe it was something I picked up in college. I'm not really sure, but the, they, I don't know. They just like, nobody had like, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just felt like it was more cut and dry, but mercy, the understanding that I always had is mercy is God not giving us uh, what we deserve. So I think culture, like if you said that to somebody on the street, they'd be like, oh yeah, I deserve a lot of stuff. Like we inherently think that we're good and we deserve good things. But we know as believers, um, because of our sin, we deserve nothing but punishment. Um, and that's what God spares us from. He, he doesn't give us the thing that we deserve because of the things that we've done. And we know that and understand that. As humans, um, we've done many uh, wrong things. Uh, But God saves all believers um, out of our miserable and pitiful state uh, that is brought upon because of our sin. Mercy sets God's view of us uh, and works in our lives uh, to contrast the wrong that we've done. Uh, His mercy is great and it covers all of our sins. And he chooses to show us this mercy. We're undes- un- completely undeserving of it, and that is his motive, his-, his grace and his mercy to us. So how how do we get this salvation? We see that in the uh, the last part of verse 3. It says that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This mercy, it causes us to be born again. And I think most of us are are familiar with this phrase, and um, we say it a lot, and I, I think the, the biggest Uh, probably the the biggest time that we think of uh, the idea of being born again is when uh, Nicodemus was was asking Christ um, how he could be saved and and he tells Christ tells him that he has to be born again and to Nicodemus this was just like a completely confusing idea like how could someone uh, be born a second time like you can't go back into your your mother's womb Um, but I think that we're all familiar with the idea that this is a spiritual rebirth and not a a physical rebirth Uh, This means that we are reborn spiritually into the family of God, free from the sin debt that we were born with at our first physical birth. Uh, It involves a recognition of our deadness and our sin uh, and looking to Jesus uh, and trusting him to cover our sins. This rebirth, it brings about a hope in our lives uh, and is a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I really think this is one of the major things that separates the way that we live our lives from the way that the world lives. Um, And maybe this is, this is just, I wouldn't say it's a soapbox, but it's one thing that I just, I always come back to when I'm talking, um, especially to teens. And um, when I just think about all that God has done for us, the hope that that gives us in our day-to-day lives. Like, I just look at the world and I see a lot of just very, very hopeless people. um, And they make a lot of decisions because they don't feel like there's a purpose like there's nothing beyond the next thing or the next experience or or whatever it is there's no uh, hope for them when they're struggling Um, but we have hope that excites me I really um, get excited when I think about the fact that God gives us hope I have hope and I can in turn show that hope to others a lot of these people, when they don't have hope, they just, if you don't think that God created you for a reason, um, the, what hope do you really have? You're going about your, your daily life, and it seems that there's no reason that you're really even alive. But this new birth, uh, it gives us hope. The, the vehicle that gives us this new birth and the hope of our salvation, as we know, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he conquered death. And this makes it possible for us to see victory over our spiritual death as well. We know the importance of the death and resurrection of Christ, and Peter is encouraging these early believers and the hope that they have because of Christ's resurrection. Just as they can have hope in this salvation when their life gets tough, so we can be hopeful because of what God has done for us. Next we'll see the... uh, the nature of the inheritance, or what's at its core—that's at the beginning of verse four. It says it's an inheritance that is uh, imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. So, an inheritance. Uh, when we think of that, man, again, I ask the teens, and they're like, well, "I don't know what an inheritance is." It's just like, what, what, "What do you? What do you mean? Like, what? What's an inheritance?" Uh, so, really, what I what I think of when I think of an, an inheritance is something that's passed down from generation to generation. Um, and it's usually, it's either wealth or it's just something of value. Like if it's, if it's not valuable, I, I, I would think that we really wouldn't call it an inheritance. It's something that has some sort of value to us. So what is the inheritance or the value that we get uh, from our salvation? We know uh, as believers that that, that uh, gift, that uh, value uh, is our eternal life that we have in Christ and the hope of heaven when we die our physical death here on earth. So, in this passage, he's, Peter's contrasting the earthly inheritance uh, that was passed down to Israel, uh, which was the land of Canaan, with the spiritual inheritance that is available to all that put their faith in Christ. An earthly inheritance, including the land of Canaan, we know that these things perish, they can be defiled, and they fade away. It's temporary and only matters for a little while on this earth. But Peter. He says that we can trust in our spiritual inheritance because it cannot perish, it cannot be defiled, and it will never fade away. So just a little bit of a definition, imperishable, it means that uh, it's not able to be put to death, not able to be destroyed. Undefiled means that it's unstained, it can't be polluted or tainted. And finally, it will not fade away, it will not go away. The things of earth always wear out we can count on it and eventually they go away whether it's after many years or if it's an inheritance i mean i suppose you could spend it right away and maybe it would be gone immediately but we know that the things of earth they will eventually go away but we also know and we can trust and what peter is encouraging these believers to trust in is that we know that our inheritance uh, through through god will never lose its magnificence and it will never cease to exist next in verses uh, the second part of verse 4 through verse 5, we see the security of our inheritance. And I think this is a really uh, neat point for these these believers, uh, as we'll see. The verse says that it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this goes hand in hand with the thought of the last phrase. Peter, he's reaffirming the security that we have in Christ by saying that it is reserved in heaven for us, we can say that it is reserved or guarded for us in heaven. We know that our inheritance is guarded in heaven, which is the most secure place. On top of that, it is protected by the power of God. We are protected by God from being able to forfeit our inheritance. If we are God's elect, He will ensure that we are not able to lose our inheritance. So imagine. Like I said, the assurance that this would have been to these new and persecuted believers um, that would have been reading this letter. The assurance that there was nothing that could separate them from their eternal inheritance. No matter what the trial, Peter was encouraging them to be joyful, knowing that their inheritance was secure in God. This secure inheritance is through faith. Uh, the faith that we have in God at conversion and the faith that we continue to have as we live our Christian life is crucial to this inheritance. Now what is meant when it says that uh, this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time? So this was one of the, I guess, more challenging points that I, I tried to work through and I, I just read some commentaries because I don't know all the answers and and a lot of times when you read the commentaries, you find out they don't know either. So uh, sometimes you just got to work through it and, and try to find um, and see the best ex- explanation. And the best I could do was, um, from what I read, was that it's a two-fold reference. So there's the future fulfillment of our salvation at our own death. So we understand... Um, that there's, there's different components. The first uh, past component of our salvation is our justification at the moment of salvation. And from that moment, we're living uh, more and more like Christ, which is our sanctification. And then the final end is our glorification when we die and leave our earthly bodies and forever um, are delivered from the presence of sin. Um, so we know that this is the final piece to our inheritance. Um, and that's why some people lean towards this because uh, it says that it's ready it says that it's already been completed um, and that we're just waiting for our race here on earth to end. Um, But I'm still unsure as I read some some other people that had thoughts on it um, that this matches, completely matches the idea of the last time um, because like that could be like your specific last time but is it the last time that he's referencing. So some people as well uh, they think it's a reference to the final completion of our salvation um, that will occur at the return of Christ. So after the return, we see all believers brought into heaven. Uh, We see the judgment seat of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth at the end of the millennium. So which is it? Is it our final glorification, or is it God's work at the end of time to bring about the new world that he's promised? I'm still not sure. So basically where I'm at is I think that both are true um, or can be true, that there's there's like no falsehood in it necessarily, Um, and they they are real. They're both going to happen. They're imminent. They will eventually one day happen. Um, So I won't single out one over the other. But I believe as he was writing to these believers, it was a very real reminder to these Christians that were hearing the letter uh, and would have been an encouragement to them that their time on earth Uh, is not the ultimate end of their salvation inheritance. We know uh, that we can rely on the perfection and security of the inheritance of our salvation. The next section, as I said, so we had... um, We had the provision, the preservation of our salvation. Next is the hope of our salvation. And that's in verses uh, 6 through 9 is where we're going to... look at that together here. So verses six through nine, it continues to break down the importance of the joy that is very real through our inheritance in Christ. So Peter wants the believers in this passage to see that their salvation and joy go hand in hand. We should constantly be joyful because of the hope that we have in our salvation. There are a few aspects uh, in this verse that, um, that lead us to be joyful. First, in the first part of uh, verse 6, we see uh, joy in our protected inheritance. So it says, in this you rejoice. So everything that we just talked about, we just talked about um, the provision and preservation uh, of our salvation. So he says, in all that, we should rejoice. Uh, And that's how we started the passage as well, is is, uh, blessing and rejoicing in God. So the wording in this points us back um, to everything that we just talked about, our, our inheritance. So... What it is and what it means to us in our lives uh, and the fact that it is secure for us should be a point of rejoicing for us. Next, in the second part of verse 6 through part of 7, we see the joy in our confidence of our proven faith. So it says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. We can have joy knowing that our faith will be tested and that there is a purpose for this. Trials, big and small, come for all of us as humans. Uh, And I I think you know that I I address the, the teens and they're all like, you know, young and haven't really done a whole lot of you know I haven't been through a whole lot of life yet, but as I look around, I see people that have probably been through a lot more difficult and trying circumstances than I have. So we all know that trials are a very real part of our life, especially as a, a believer. and we can have hope and be joyful in these trials knowing that they are a working out of our faith. They are a proving ground uh, for the faith that we have and will help us to grow closer to our God. Um so don't be don't be shy necessarily when it comes to hard things and be ready. Um, to see how God will use them to grow us. All that being said, though, I really think in the context of this passage that the trial that, that Peter's talking about is specifically referencing uh, the persecution that these Christians are seeing because of their faith. So um, I gave this, this little thought. Uh, when I was younger, I feel like a lot of times when we talked about persecution, there was always that caveat that, like, we don't, we don't suffer the way that the the early church did. Um, and I, I still believe that's the case. I, I'm not trying to make a case for, for that being any different, but um, because we're, we're not physically beaten, we're not in prison um, for the things we believe. But my observation is that since I was young, and that was the things that I heard, is that things have escalated pretty quickly um, from when I was when I was younger. Uh, often, if we stand in public for what the Word of God says, brings about a lot of negativity. Um, and in some cases, especially I've heard some in, in other countries and such, if you take a firm stance on uh, what God's Word says, whether it's a cultural issue or just proclaiming your faith it can bring about fines or imprisonment so I don't doubt necessarily that maybe in our lifetime the persecution that they saw could be something that is more real for us as well Um, again I don't I don't say all that to to change the record but I think we can begin to imagine um, what these believers were going through as a result of what they believed so what does Peter have to say about these kinds of trials he says first that they will be for a little while. They are transitory and will at some point pass away. So this may be hard to see in the moment. And I think we can all agree with that when we're going through trials, but we know that our life is like a vapor. So these things too uh, are something that will pass away in a short amount of time, of course, relative to eternity. So I think that's the backdrop that we painted against. Trials and persecution are only for a little while and will not outlast Uh, our life here on earth. So this is a hopeful truth to those that are suffering persecution. Next, they only come if necessary, or if only when God is using them for a purpose in the life of a believer. Trials can be used for many different specific reasons that we see throughout scripture, but broadly, they are to show us our weakness and our need for God's strength in our lives. They drive us to grow closer to him and to rely on him, Next, we do see as well that these trials are distressing. This lets us know that they will bring about pain in some form or another. This pain is part of the refining process that makes us more spiritually useful. And finally, we see that these trials are various. We can trust uh, that just as the trials that we face are diverse, the grace of God uh, is abundantly more diverse, and it will supersede any of the, the, um, the trials that we face. And I believe for us and for these believers those facts show us why we should be joyful. The next extended phrase in that section uh, helps us to see why, further why it is a joyous thing to go through trials. It says that the the testing of our faith is part of the process of proving our faith. It uses the imagery of the testing of our faith being like the refining of gold. Um, and I don't know, I guess, the exact process necessarily, um, but I do understand a little bit. Uh, so I, I told kind of a story uh, whenever I was telling the teens, and after the fact, somebody... So I grew up in western Pennsylvania, which is Pittsburgh, and you've got steel mills and, and all that kind of stuff. And I said that both my dad, my brother, and I have all worked at a steel mill. And they were like, wow, that's the most, like, western PA thing like someone you know, could, could ever say, and I was like, yeah, I guess so. But my dad still works there. But anyways, I have at least, like, a, a little bit of, like, I've seen the process of how, uh, and I guess gold would be a little different. I guess you're kind of melting it out of a rock or whatever the case is. But in a lot of ways, it's it's a metal, so it's refined the same way. So. Um, and at least with gold, like, you see it, and you're like, this is this is a value, but a lot of times in the, the steel refining process, you're starting with stuff that's scrap. It just looks like a bunch of garbage laying around on the ground. You're like, this is, what is this? You just kick it around, but when you realize that, like, per pound that stuff's worth a ton of money, it's kinda, kind of a crazy thing. Anyways, but the process, you take something that doesn't seem like it's worth a whole lot, and you add it to the heat, and then you add other elements, and then you refine it, and you take off all of the 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 bad part the, the slag they call it comes to the top and they're able to actually like use a giant spoon kinda of thing and pull that out um, and then you are left with they pour it into ingots they call it and then you have like these like refined pieces of steel that they ship out and then make it into the stuff that we use every day um, so that's my little bit of understanding as far as refining steel or metal um, it's just neat to think about that process and how it it applies to us as well like when we're in the heat when we're in the fire of a trial uh, God's using that to to make us into a better form a more pure form a more usable uh, form uh, for himself when these metals are tested by fire they cast out uh, the parts that are not useful and you're left with the useful parts Uh, when we're tested God uh, is causing us to put off the things that are not useful for our walk and refining the things that remain to their purest and most useful form. But Peter, even in the passage, as you see, he clarifies this and says that even though gold, it's a very valuable thing, it itself is well as well is perishable, but that our faith is more precious because it does not perish, uh, like we talked about earlier in verse 4. So on to verse uh, the end of verse seven, uh, we see the joy in the promise of honor, and this was this was a little bit of a different thought in this passage, and it was interesting to work through. But it it says what it says is it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, I guess just as a clarification, the last section about the gold it was kind of like an aside or like a part. Um, that kind of broke up the sentence. So the full sentence, if we read it all together, it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see that the testing of our faith results in the praise, glory, and honor at the coming of Christ. While we will certainly uh, be praising God at his coming, this passage says uh, that we will also be on the receiving end of of this praise and joy uh, when we joyfully go through life's trials. It's crazy to think that God would show this attention to us uh, when the variability that we have to endure these trials is because of his grace in our lives. I don't want to speculate too far exactly on what this will look like, but we know that it will happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ or when he comes again for his own. So can you imagine the encouragement that this would have been to these persecuted believers? So not only is our salvation eternal, uh, the trials are for a purpose, they're only temporary, but when we see God, uh, he will show praise, glory, and honor to us because of how we conducted ourselves in trials. Uh, I think that's an incredible cause for joy for us and for these early Christians. So next we see in verse 8, as we finish out the, the hope uh, of our joy, joy in personal fellowship with Christ. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter moves into this uh, next section and pretty much defines faith as we understand it. Uh, faith is, is, is believing in something that we can't see. So uh, he says that even though we do not see him, or these believers specifically, they do not see him, but they love him, and they believe in him. So imagine what Peter's saying. He's, he's commending their faith. So, so Peter, on one hand, he saw Jesus. He was one of Christ's closest followers, and he lived with him for three years, and he had every reason um, to have total faith in who God is, but he still... Uh, denied Christ three times before his crucifixion and, and even after the crucifixion and the resurrection Peter had the opportunity to see Christ as he was resurrected uh, even with his failure Peter had every reason to believe everything about Christ and to love him because he had seen him he seems to contrast himself with the, his readers when he says though 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 they had not seen him as Peter did they loved him though they had not seen Christ's and still were unable to see him now. They still believed on him and were filled with joy. So that says, I think, a lot about these people that Peter recognized the joy they had in their suffering for something that they could not, uh, the suffering in the faith for something that they could not even see. Um, and I think this is a neat contrast. Peter sets, sets up, he says, I saw him, Jesus, I knew him, I lived with him, and I still did not have faith when I was tested. But you, you all cannot see him. Even if you did see him, uh, you do not now see him, and as he he is not seen uh, by any. But yet you joyfully suffer through your testing and bring glory to God. So I'm not trying to jump on the, the bash Peter bandwagon because I you know I don't know how we all would have reacted uh, in in the similar situation when he denied Christ. Um, but he is very sure in his encouragement of those that put their faith in Christ. Uh, finally, in verse nine um, is the present obtaining of our salvation. It says that the faith uh, that these believers have in not being able to see Christ leads to the salvation of their souls. So this the verb that's used there, it's a present verb that refers to the constant and present deliverance that we have from the penalty and power of sin. The hope that Peter is presenting to these believers should be an incredible encouragement and joy to all of us as well. So finally, I'll close it out with the last uh, three verses here, 10 through 12. And um, it seems like kind of like a, like you, you had such clear theology for a while there. You're talking about the preservation and, and how uh, of our salvation and the inheritance, and how we got the hope and joy that we have. Um, and then he, he ends it with this section um, talking about our salvation as it was predicted by the prophets. Uh, Peter continues to stress to these believers the greatness of their salvation, um, and he identifies four agents or groups that were involved in uh, the spreading of the good news of salvation. So first, we see in verse 10, is the prophets. They're the prophets of the Old Testament uh, that God used to record the coming events that would result in our salvation. So these prophets, they studied diligently and they searched out, what was meant by the grace of God, and the idea of grace um, that encompasses every motive behind the saving work of Christ. These prophets, they wanted to understand how this grace worked. They knew that it would not uh, extend only to the Israelites, as it did in times past, but uh, to all that had faith in Christ. They also searched out their own prophecy to see uh, who the Messiah would be and at what time he would come. Peter, uh, in this small section here, he seems to be encouraging these believers to be diligent in studying the word of God for themselves. These prophets, uh, they spent much time in the word and they did not even have access to the full revelation that these believers, or, or especially as, as us, as we have uh, the whole canon, um, to be able to look into God's word. But we can read all that God has revealed now to us and we ought to put diligent care into reading and heeding it. Next, we see, uh, in this this small section, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit revealed to the prophets what they were to record. It says that he was within them. We can trust uh, that what was revealed by the Old Testament authors is the infallible revelation of God. The Spirit, through the prophets, predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. Um, I know there's there's plenty of Old Testament passages that we could we could work through um, of different predictions that have been made. Um, and we know that these prophecies, a lot of them have come true, and some are still in their way to f- fulfillment. The passage says um, that it, it was also revealed that the things... Um, that they were revealing through the Holy Spirit would not come to complete fruition in their time. So they knew that the things uh, they revealed did not cover every part of the gospel revelation. And in this way, they knew that they weren't doing it for themselves, uh, but for the believers um, in Peter's day and for us as well. They were doing it for, for others as they revealed these things. Next we see Peter highlights the preaching of the gospel through the work of the apostles. The Holy Spirit influenced um, the Old Testament prophets and, as we know, uh, the New Testament apostles as well, as the apostles preached the fully revealed gospel uh, after the resurrection of Christ. So Peter himself uh, was one of those mouthpieces as he preached the first sermon by an apostle in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And we see pretty clearly from that instance the work of the Holy Spirit in spreading the gospel and using the apostles uh, to spread the truth of the gospel around the world. So finally, the passage, uh, this, this was an interesting thought. Um, the passage ends with a reference to angels and the interest that they have in our salvation. I thought this was kind of a, a curious thought here, but the angels, they're able to fellowship with God and experience his glory, but yet they wonder at the grace and glory of our salvation and the deliverance that we have from our sins. It says that the angels long to look at it, Um, This longing is not a simple glance, it's a a strong passion to know and understand um, our salvation. They are witnesses of God's salvation. Uh, They see it, they are able to to be with God, but they still long to look more into um, the salvation that we have uh, as humans so that they can praise God even more and glorify Him for it. So to, to tie that back in, we can face our trials triumphantly and with joy because of the greatness of God's grace and giving us salvation that was recorded by these four different groups uh, and worked through there. So there's really a ton in this passage as I think back on on all the theology and especially, I mean, just those last three verses that I basically just glazed through, um, all the the study that could be done there. Um, But I don't think we can walk away without recognizing the incredible work of our salvation on our behalf, the joy that that brings us, uh, and the hope uh, that comes from our salvation. Uh, so I'll try to make at least just a couple applications here, and then, and then we'll be done. Uh, the first one, um, especially since the, the topic is salvation and our, our inheritance, uh, I don't know that you can even open the Word of God without just being uh, in awe of what he's done, but, but without saying, if you don't know Christ we all desire that for you. We, we want you, uh, as a believer, I want you to know Christ and I want you to see his plan through this passage, uh, his, his gift of grace uh, to these believers. Um, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today's the day. We want you to know him and to, to trust this inheritance, this gift, this eternal life that he's given us uh, and be born again. Another thought Um, so right at the beginning in verse three, and then again, I believe it's down in verse six, the two of the leading phrases of the passage talk about the grateful attitude that we ought to have, um, because of God and his salvation, um, and because he has chosen us as his own. So I just wonder, are we taking time to praise God for his salvation for us? Um, when we come to church, are we coming with a grateful heart of worship Uh, to worship God for what he's done for us, for our salvation. Um, I really do think that the joy and hope that we have because of our salvation should just like ooze out of us because of how great it is. Uh, So I just challenge uh, all of us to think about that. Think about our heart of worship. Um, I know it, it gets said a lot, but like when we spend our time in prayer, a lot of times we want to intercede and we want to ask, but like are we praising God? And specifically, are we praising him for how great his, his work of salvation is in our lives? Um, so I want to uh, leave you with that as well. And then finally, uh, with the discussion of, of trials and, and uh, how God works through those, um, are you going through a trial right now or are you being uh, in a way persecuted for, for what you believe Um Is there a struggle that you have with family member or work or or something like that um, because of you took a stance on something? Um, I mean the encouragement is pretty clearly there as far as you know we know that uh, it's temporary and it's God working in our life and if we rely on him and trust in him in those situations he will work in those. Um, But I guess as I thought through it I thought even further and not that us being in a trial or persecution is like a badge of honor or something that we should be striving after. But in a way, are we not facing any persecution or any strife because of our belief, because we haven't shared it with others? Like, are we going to work and not once talking about Jesus and his gift of salvation for us? Um, You know, like maybe the reason if, if, if we're not struggling through that, Maybe the reason is because we're, we're not telling other people. We're not being a light to others as we go out um, and as we're with our family and such. So I guess that was an, uh, a thought that I had an encouragement. Not that we should be striving to be persecuted or to face a trial uh, for our faith, but if we're not, is it because we're just not doing what we can to tell others? Um, so I guess that was just a thought. If you're there, if you're already there and you're struggling through that um, trust in God and rely on Him through that. But as well, um, I don't know, that's just an encouragement I always like to leave, is just be a light, be a beacon of hope to the world around us. Um, there, Like I said earlier, there's so many that don't have that, and the opportunity to share that with them uh, is crucial. And it probably will lead to, to some sort of strife there with people that want to push back on that. But I think when people really understand Salvation and what God has done for us. Like I just don't know. How, the only reaction I can have is like, I I don't see how anybody doesn't accept it. But that's just me. Anyways, I encourage you with those thoughts. Um, I I pray that as we looked into God's word, um, something there uh, took hold and is something that you can take with you this week um, as we uh, interact with our family and friends and loved ones and. Um, co-workers and those around us thank you again for the opportunity Uh, i'll close this in prayer god we're so grateful for your salvation we're so uh incredibly grateful for um your death burial and resurrection for us and, and all that you've done uh to to give us the opportunity to have eternal life to live with you and um lord we just don't want to take that for granted as we look at these believers and um, the trials that they faced and and possibly the similarities of of where we're at in our life, Lord, we're just, um, just ask that you be with us, Lord, and and help us to be bold in sharing our faith and telling others about who you are and the salvation that you've given to us, Lord. We again thank you for this Lord's Day um, and just the opportunity to be with other believers and uh, just watch over and protect uh, everyone as they go out and Lord, just give us all Uh, opportunities, help us to take them to tell others about you and about what you've done for us. Thank you again for everything. In your name, amen.